back. You know, it's not uncommon when you're hiking and you do a, an incline uh, or you're hiking up a trail to get to the top of the ridge. When you get to the top and you're winded, and so you, you kind of pause and you might put your hands over your knees like this, you know, just to catch your breath, or, or you might sit down, or you might uh, drink a little bit of water or eat something just to uh, put some carbs back in, but uh, you need a few minutes to recover before you're ready to move forward. Um, and it might not have been a hike that you've been on, but maybe you've had something going on in your life where you needed to, to lean over, kind of put your hands on your knees and just take a deep breath before you could move forward. Sometimes life does that to us, doesn't it? Uh, sometimes your body says, you know what, time for a break, time for a break. You've been pushing me too hard, too long. It's time for you to put things on pause, time for you to stop. Um, sometimes it's, it's not our physical body. Sometimes it's the demand of our job or other responsibilities that um, are surrounding us and we're so overwhelmed and we can't even see what's coming at us. But someone outside of us, family, friend, the people that love us say, you know, it's too much. You need to pause. You need to stop. You need to take a break. And so last week we began a series, a new series entitled Catch Your Breath, to look at this concept of slowing down and pausing, life, putting life on pause. Um, we talked about four elements last week, stop, look, deli- stop, rest, delight, and contemplate. Stop, rest, delight, and contemplate. And we're taking a week to look at each one of those, and just to review, last week we talked about stopping and And the challenge that we face in life is life will not slow down. Life will not slow down. So what we have to do is you and I have to develop a rhythm of living life that doesn't slow down. A rhythm where we work and then we rest. Where we work and then we rest. And in order order to do that, we have to set limits on our lives. We have to say no to certain things. We have to pause and say no to certain things. And then what that does is that allows us to be, do the things that we enjoy, to be re-energized and live the life that God has for us. And today we want to talk about the concept of rest. And I'm not just talking about taking a nap or going to bed at night. I'm not just talking about that. But a deeper level of rest that I think God calls us into. And as we dive into this, this topic, I know for many of you, you are wrestling with how to implement this in your lives. Um, I had one guy tell me after the first service last week, ah, John, I was going to go home and work. My wife was away. I had all this stuff to do, and now I can't do it. And I said, well, let me know how that works out. And she came up to me after first service and says, guess what happened last week? I'm like, what? Tell me. And she's like, he rested, you know. So it was pretty cool. He actually did what we talked about doing. But I know this is not an easy subject. Not an easy subject. Why is it such a hard subject for us? To navigate. Why is it hard? Well, the first reason it's hard is because it's countercultural. It's countercultural. Our culture wants everything to be going 24 7, nonstop, right? And, and we've almost gotten to the point where that's our expectation level, is it will just go and go and go and go and go. And when something's not available for us, when we want it, we're actually disappointed. We actually get upset and frustrated when that's the case. You know, if you lived in the land of Israel, Friday night at sundown, everything would shut down until Saturday night at sundown when everything would come back up. There's another reason why I think this idea of resting is hard for us. How many of you, when you were growing up, you and you were a little kid, your parents ever said to you, you just did a great job resting? How many of you ever heard that from a parent? Anybody ever hear it? Nobody heard that, did they? How many of you ever heard from a parent, you just did a great job working? How many of you heard that? Okay, come on, you're from Lancaster County. Get those hands up in the air. 
I know you all heard it, right? Right? So what do we get praise for? We got praise for our hard work, right? We got praise for our effort. And if we weren't looking hard and we weren't putting out some effort, we might hear, would you just stop being what? Lazy. Exactly. Exactly. And so we have this built in the back of our minds, in the back of our brains, to the point that even when we know we're supposed to take a break, even when we know we're supposed to stop and pause, we do that and something inside of us feels a little guilty because we just did. You're shaking your heads. You know exactly what I'm talking about, right? right? So it's not just our culture, but it's something inside of us that makes it difficult for us to be able to pause and for us to rest. And so as we talk about this subject of Sabbath, for those of you, it might, some of you, it might be a new concept to just think about this rhythm of life. This rhythm of life. For some of you, you might have wondered, where did John come up with this idea? You know, others of you might be thinking, well, you know, John, that would work if you didn't have the life that I have. If you saw my kids' sports schedules, you saw the things that have done, you saw the honey-to-do honey -do list, I mean, you, you would know why I can't take a day to pause and rest. And still others might be thinking, well, that's a good idea, John. Just give me the rules and I'll do it and then we'll kind of move on with life. But I want us to move past those things. And I want us to grab hold of this concept that I talked to you about last week about Sabbath, which is this. Sabbath is not something to be forced upon us, but a gift offered to us. Sabbath is not something forced upon you, but a gift offered to you. Let's start this morning by taking a look in the book of Mark, if you have your Bibles, if you would turn to the book of Mark, your Bibles, your phones or tablets, there's a Bible in your seat and the page for that Bible in the seat in front of you, the rack in front of you is on the screen. Mark 2 is where we're going to be. Mark 2, page 813. And the end of Mark 2, beginning in verse 23, Jesus said, or the, Mark records this, he says, on the Sabbath... Jesus was going through the grain field, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. Now you might wonder, was this their fields? Well, it wasn't their fields. Or are they allowed to pick grain that was not from their fields? Well, yeah, they were. You see, there was this concept in the Old Testament called gleaning. You say, what's gleaning? Well, what gleaning is, is in the Old Testament, God said when you grew a crop of, of, of wheat or of rice or of corn, whatever that crop was that you grew... Um, you were supposed to leave a patch along the edge. When you harvested, you didn't harvest that patch along the edge of your fields all the way around. You say, why wouldn't they harvest that patch? Well, the reason for that is because... I'm going to step outside my box, so I might go a little dark here. But the reason for that is because when people were walking by who had come upon hard times, maybe they had faced sickness by the main breadwinner in their house, maybe there had been disease, who knows what it was, and they were destitute. They didn't have enough to live off of. They could pick off of these things as they would walk by. In the Old Testament, there's a story of a woman by the name of Ruth and her mother Naomi, and this is how they were surviving before God provided another way. So this was perfectly legit what the disciples were doing. But in the midst of them doing this, the Pharisees said to them, look, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? You see, the problem is, is the Pharisees, they did not really understand. They missed the point of the Sabbath. They didn't get it. Jesus wasn't rebuking his disciples. Why were the Pharisees doing this? So what Jesus proceeded to do is tell them a story, and he took them back to the Old Testament, the story of a man by the name of David. And he said this to them. He said, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? And David said, let me tell you, even though they already knew. 
He said, in the days of Abathar the priest, they entered the house of God and ate the, the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priest to eat, and he gave some to his companions. You see, in the temple, the place of worship, there was this table called the table of showbread. And on this table of showbread, there was two loaves of bread that every day they would bake new loaves of bread and put fresh loaves of bread on this table. And the reason they did that is they wanted to remind the people of God of an event that had happened in the land, when they were in the land of Egypt. When, um, when manna was provided for them, it would show up on their doorstep every day. And so God said, in the same way, when you come into this place of worship, I want you to see fresh bread as a reminder of God's provision for this on a daily basis. At the end of the day, the bread would be given to the priests. They would eat it. That's how the priests would live. Jesus said, don't you remember that story? Because David understood the point. David understood the intent of this. The intent was that the bread was to be a reminder of God's faithful provision to people in need. That's what the bread was all about. And guess what? David and his men were in that situation. You see, David understood the intent of the law. The Pharisees only understood the black and white. You're not supposed to eat on the side. That's all the Pharisees understood. They didn't understand the intent, the heart behind it. Now, for some of you who are rule followers, who are black and white people in the way you view the world, your circuits are on overload right now because you're like, well, of course the Pharisees should criticize, tell them they should. That's against the rules, you know? And, and why did David, was he allowed to do that? Didn't he break the rules? And wasn't there consequences? Shouldn't there be punishment? And all of those things are very, very true. But the point of the story is, is Jesus wanted his followers and the religious community to know that the rules for the Sabbath were to make the day more meaningful. Not to punish them. Not to punish them. And that's what Jesus said. Look at the very next verse. He says this. He said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You think about the order of creation. God created man, and then he said, I need a day for him to rest from everything else, and then he created the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And the Pharisees missed the heart of that. They missed that the Sabbath was supposed to be viewed as a gift. They just saw the Sabbath as a bunch of rules that were supposed to be followed. And so what is this day of rest, this Sabbath day? What does it look like? What does it look like? Well, I want us to talk about, I want to talk to you about three different things that I think it looks like. And I think the first thing it does is Sabbath is a gift that releases us from the pressure of productivity. From the pressure of productivity. Um, students, how many of you would say that your parents want you to produce good grades in school. Let me see your hands. Okay, a few of them went up really fast. Um, some of them a little slower there. Um, some of your parents are wondering, why don't you have your hands up? You know, so even you in school, you're supposed to produce something, right? Good grades. You know, if you're an employee, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to produce for your employer. If you're an employer, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to produce for the shareholders or for whoever owns the company, whoever that is. We live in this production society and this production culture. But God set up work to have the God set up our lives to have a work and a rest rhythm. A work and a rest rhythm. And if you think about Genesis one that we looked at last week, God created what? He created the heavens and the earth, the light and darkness, the water, the plants, the land animals, the sun, the moon, the stars, the fish in the sea, and the birds of the air, and then he created us as mankind. And he said about all those things, he said, It was what? Good, right? It was good. On the sixth day, he said it was very, 
very good. But then God set up and established this seventh day, a day to rest, a day to put life on pause, and God said about this day, he didn't say it was good, he said it was, what, anybody remember from last week? It was holy. It was holy. So all of God's creation, all of his work was good, but he said this day is holy. This is a day that's supposed to be separate and unique, different from every other day. And we live in a culture that values productivity and the results of it, if we don't produce, as I said earlier, is we are accused, whether verbally or in our minds, of being lazy. And so we get stuck in this productivity mode with everything in our lives. And it's not good. It's not good. We get stuck in this productivity mind in relationships. You say, how do we get stuck in a productivity mind in relationships? Well, in relationships, we can either enjoy another person's presence and just who they are, or we are friends with and spend time with someone who can do something for us. In business, they call it return on investment, your ROI. So what is going to be the benefit of me spending time with this person? You see what productivity does? It takes something good and healthy, and it makes it very damaging. Here's another one. Another way we get stuck in this productivity mind, we're always in a hurry. We're always in a hurry. How many of you are looking for this guy when you go into Walmart? (laughs) Hands up. How many looking for him? Or you're looking for that line? How many of you walk by wondering, don't those people have something better to do in their lives than wait in that long line? How many of you think that? You know, you're not going to admit it in church, but, you know. How many of you, when you're driving, are always looking for the fastest lane? Come on, hands up, you're in church. You know. How many of you are impatient at traffic lights and stoplights when you know they're on their phone in front of you? You know, right? right? I mean, this productivity, why do we feel that? Because we have someplace to go. We have something to do that's important for us to get done what we need to get done so that we can show ourselves to be what? Productive. What did you do today? How are you productive? You see this orientation, how it just seeps into everything that's true about us? That's the way we live life. Here's another one. Uh, We're overly money conscious. We're always trying to find a deal. We're always trying to save a buck. We're always trying to set money aside for retirement. So much so that life is miserable for everybody around us right now. Now, is there anything wrong with doing that? No. But why do we do it? Because it's our drive to be productive. We even force our kids to enter productivity, you know, um, early. Look at this picture of uh, soccer for two-year-olds. They can't tie their shoes, but they can do a corner kick, you know. They got uniforms, they got shin pads, they got cleats. Man, that's expensive for two-year-olds, you know. And why? So they can get ahead, right? So they can get what they need, so they can be productive. They can get that scholarship. That's what drives us into all of these crazy things. And if you think about all those things I just mentioned, are they, are they bad things? No, they're not bad things. Is there anything wrong with, uh, with doing a good job? Is there anything, anything wrong with getting things done in the day? Is there anything wrong with saving money? No, there's, is there anything wrong with our kids having experiences? There's nothing wrong with those things. But we've, because of this productivity mindset on us, it has taken this to an extreme in which we're wearing ourselves out and we're wiping our kids out in the process to the point that kids, by the time they get to their high school years, are just burned out of things that their parents want them to do that they thought at one time was a good idea. And so this idea of the Sabbath 
is not something forced on us, but a gift given to us. The first thing we have to do is we have to fight this battle with productivity. Fight this battle with productivity. Now, as I'm talking about the Sabbath, for some of you, you may be wondering, John, what do you mean by the Sabbath? What do you mean by the Sabbath? All I know about the Sabbath is it says to keep it, and in the Old Testament it was Friday night to Saturday night. What's the Sabbath? Well, as we talk about the Sabbath here, we're talking about a 24-hour window of our week where life is different than the rest of the week. God says six days you're supposed to work, and one day I want you to put life on pause and do things differently. And so the first thing for you to do is identify a time window in your week that you can do this. You say, does it have to be a specific time window? It does not. That's what Paul said in Romans 13. Just pick a day that works for you. There's another thing to do is to shut down technology. Shut down technology. And this is really hard. This is really hard. I think I told you last week, my Sabbath usually is Friday at noon till Saturday at noon. And, and I happened to pick up my phone, bad decision on Saturday morning, and look at my phone, and I had a half a dozen texts from people saying, can you give me this now? Can you tell me this now? Can I get this right from you right now? It's like, <gasps> okay, put it down. Turn it over. Don't reply. It's really hard. It's really hard to step away from technology because technology sucks us in to this productivity mindset, to our sense of value being overinflated like we talked about last week. And so what would it look like for you to turn things off, put an auto-reply on your phone, I'm on Sabbath, I've got to figure out how to do that. If anybody can show me, I'd love to have you show me how to do that. You know, And just take 24 hours to pause. Another part of that is no checklist on the Sabbath. There's no to-do list on the Sabbath. No to-do list. Um, and then the last one that we'll talk more about when we get to delight is we do what we enjoy. On the Sabbath, there should not be have-tos. There should only be want-tos. I had a mom come to me last week out of the service and said, John, that was a good message, but I just have to, my kids have to clean up their room when they get home. I'm like, it'll still be there on Monday when they wake up. you know. Um, but she said, no, we have to get it done. And we're going to talk later in the series about what do you do with all the have-tos how do you get the have-tos done so you can get to the want-tos? Um, so the first thing about Sabbath rest is it ha- confronts this productivity drive inside of us. The second thing it does is it reorders our priorities. Reorders our priorities. Last week we looked at Exodus chapter 20 when, um, I think it's going to come up on the screen, Exodus 20, when God said this, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor, do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And and God says on six days, everybody works. Everybody works. Everybody does what they have to do. But on the seventh day, everybody in your household pauses. Pauses. And the Sabbath is not supposed to be an escape from all the stuff you were supposed to do all week long. The Sabbath is not not designed to be a 17 or 18 hour Netflix binge. That's not what the Sabbath is supposed to be about, you know. Um, But the Sabbath is a gift for us but look at the end of that phrase, to God. It's a gift for us, but it's to God. It's not for me and to me, it's for us and to God. You see, it's not about escaping my responsibilities and escaping all the things I'm supposed to do, but it's more fully entering, this is the life God has for you and for me. God's design for life is that there should be this rhythm of work and rest. And when we pause on those days, we get to reflect on 
who God is and his character and person and what he's been doing in our lives. We're going to talk about that when we get to the contemplate week. It's about enjoying all the things that God has done for us that week. It's about savoring food. Savoring food. I don't know about you, but I don't savor food much at all. I consume it. I don't savor it. You know, It's about having meaningful conversation with the people in your life, family and friends and spouse. It's about noticing things. It's about sometimes just being silent. How many of you are about ready to crawl out of your skin? Okay, a few of you are being honest there. We were only silent for 30 seconds. When was the last time you just sat quietly for any length of time? Any length of time. And that's what the Sabbath allows us to do. It allows us to take things that sometimes during the course of the week get out of alignment, get disproportionately in place, and put those things back in the order of what really matters. And the things that are really important, and the things that God says are true for us. It's not about an escape from reality, but it's about entering into the relationship that God has for us. You see, the problem with our pace of life that is not going to slow down is there is no way for us to get things in the right order when they get out of order. And Sabbath allows us a window of time to do that. It makes space for God to speak and to reorder our values. One final thing that Sabbath does is Sabbath rest gives us a taste of life forever with Jesus. A taste of life forever with Jesus you know, sometimes when we stop, it's hard. It's hard. I had someone say to me years ago when I was encouraging her to just pause and, and spend some time quiet, alone with God, they said, I don't think I can just be quiet and be alone with God because as soon as I'm quiet, all of a sudden, this stuff starts to come up that I don't really want to deal with. What was she saying? She's saying, my busyness keeps it buried and keeps it suppressed. And when I stop and I pause... I have to look myself right in the mirror and face who I really am. And that's part of what Sabbath does. Part of what Sabbath is all about is it's designed for us to remember where we came from. Remember the amazing things God has done in our lives. You see, when God gave the law to the people of Israel the second time in the book of Deuteronomy, the second law, He didn't remind them when He was talking about Sabbath, about creation. He switched it. He said, I want you to remember when you were slaves in Egypt, when you were in bondage, when you didn't have a choice to decide, when your will was not your own. You see, part of Sabbath, I believe, is facing the brokenness and the effects of sin on us, walking backwards in our lives and looking at things that have been hard and difficult and painful and seeing that God has rescued us, God has saved us, God has delivered us from those things, and He's given us the life that we are able to enjoy right now. We face grief and loss and all the things that we no longer have. But God doesn't want us to just sit in that, I believe. 
I think what God wants us to do is he wants us to have a glimpse of what is waiting for the people who claim to follow Jesus. In the Old Testament, the story of the people of Israel after they ran out of Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea and they were on their way to the promised land, the land we know now as the land of Israel. That's where they were on their way to. And as they were making their way to the promised land, to the land of Israel, um, God gave them a choice. He said, and he sent, he sent some representatives, 12 representatives, into the land that he was about to give them. Remember, God had just led them through the Red Sea. And he said, go spy out the land, see what's there, and then tell us what we should do. And so they came back and 10 of the spies says, there's no way, there's giants in the land, they'll kill us, we're going to die, we should, go, we should go back to Egypt. And two of the guys said, no, no. God brought us through the Red Sea. God's provided for us. He gives us food every day. This God can lead us through this into the promised land. But the majority of the people followed the ten spies. And because of that, nearly two million people wandered in a wilderness for 40 years and died off and never entered the promised land, which was the place of God's rest for them. The writer of Hebrews picks up on this concept. If you turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 4, and he mixes this concept of this rest, this eternal rest, this thing that's coming with a choice that we have today to follow after God and to pursue after Him. And in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. He's talking about those who had this opportunity to choose it, and they turned their backs on it. For we also had the good news in verse 2, proclaimed to us just as you, they did, but the message they heard was of no value because they did not share the faith of those who had obeyed. Verse 4, For somewhere he had spoken about the seventh day, in these words, on the seventh day, God rested from all of his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they're never going to enter my rest, that eternal place of rest. Verse 6, since it remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of a disobedience, God set a certain day calling it today. And he quotes a passage from, the, from David in the Old Testament. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You see, even though they had an opportunity to enter this place called the place of promise, the place of rest, they chose not to. But God says to us today, He says, you still have an opportunity to enter this place of rest. You still have this opportunity to receive the free gift of salvation that God has to offer to you. I don't know where you're at on your spiritual journey, but if you've been here at CCC or been hearing us talk about following Jesus and, and, and God being at the center of your life and, and loving God with everything you have, maybe you're at the place where you recognize, I don't know that I've done that. God's kind of off in the periphery here, and I, I let Him in on Sundays, but then He kind of goes back here and, and, and I tune Him out, but I really want God to be at the center of my heart and my life. And I want to choose to follow Jesus. He says, today is a chance for you to choose to do that. Verse 11, he says, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. He says, there's an opportunity 
not just for you to practice a day of rest, but there's an opportunity for you to enter this concept called God's eternal rest forever with Him if you choose to follow Him this day. I invite you to do that. And when you choose to do that, God says, this is what life with me forever will be like. Turn to the last page in your Bible. Revelation 21. Revelation 21. He says this, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first one had passed away and there was no longer any sea. God says all the broken stuff about our world all the brokenness about our world, all the wars, all the conflict, all the pain, all the heartache, all the suffering, all the weeds, that's part of the curse as well. It's all going to be gone. And God's going to make everything new. Verse 3, And I heard a voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. Is God everywhere? Yeah, God's everywhere. And the Bible says God's Spirit is in us. But God's presence will be here with us in some type of very, very visible way. Verse 4, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. When we pause, when we enter Sabbath, when we stop to rest, when we enjoy the good things that God has given to us, when we reorder our lives, when we say life is about the people that are part of my life, not what I get done, God says you are getting a little taste of what heaven will be like with me forever. He goes on to describe it again in verse 22. He says, The angel showed me a river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and out of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. Somehow there's going to be a river right down the middle of that city. And he said, On each side of the river, the fruit, the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. Every month there's a new crop. Every month. I kind of hope each tree will be a different fruit. You know, instead of waiting the season, we get them for a little while, right? We get them for a month or two, and then they're gone for the rest of the year. God says, I'm going to bless you with that continuously. Verse 3, there won't be, no longer be any curse. Verse 5, there will be no more night, no need of the light of the lamp, nor the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light forever. You know, I think when we pause... When we celebrate Sabbath, we get a little taste of what that will be like. Because life is not about what I have to do. That day is not about what I have to get done. That day is just about enjoying who I am, who God is, and the people God's placed in my life, and the things that give me life. You know the word recreation, you know how that begins? Recreate. Recreation is not designed to exhaust us. It's designed to recreate us. And that's what God wants us to do. 
You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm singing on Sundays here and, and the band's playing and people are singing, I can hear you singing behind me, I think to myself, that's a little taste of heaven. Where it's not just everybody alive, like Chad said earlier, it's everybody who's ever lived who's a follower of Jesus. And when I get to spend time with, with friends and people I really enjoy and time just flies by and, and, and I'm disappointed when I have to leave and I can't wait till the next time I'm with them, I think I just got a little taste of heaven. Just to be with people I love. And it's not about what we get done, it's just about loving and enjoying one another. And there won't be any heartaches. There won't be any struggles. There won't be any grieving. There won't be any pain. I just get to enjoy and be with Jesus. And so this morning, I don't know where you're at in this whole arena of Sabbath, um, but I hope that as we've talked about this this morning, my hope and prayer is that God has stirred up in you a longing to get a taste of what He wants you to experience forever. Remember, Sabbath is not something forced upon you, but it's a gift that God offers to you. And so as you walk out this morning, I want you to think about a couple things. The first is, have you thought about a specific time in your week where it's going to be different than the rest of the week? A specific time. For most of you, it's likely this day. It's likely this day. Say, John, why isn't your Sabbath on Sunday? Well, I walk in this building every day. It's my place of work. And so for Sabbath for me is not to be here. It's at a different place. But what's your Sabbath look like? Have you talked about a time? Have you discussed this with your spouse? Have you talked about it with your kids? Have you thought through, when am I going to do this? The second is, what do you enjoy? We're going to talk about that next week when we talk about delight. What are the things you enjoy? What are the things you do that time just passes by? What are the things that you do? Who are the people you spend time with that you say to yourself, I can't wait till I get to be with them again? That's what Sabbath is supposed to be about. And how about this last one? Will you imagine that your time of Sabbath is just a glimpse of what eternity will be like with Jesus? I hope that this service gives you a little taste of that from time to time. I hope that you have people in your life that you get to be with that gives you a little taste of that from time to time. I don't think God wants us to have that perpetually because then we would be content with here. And I don't think God wants us to be content with here. I think He wants to stir up in us a longing for Him and being with Him forever. As we close in prayer, I'm just going to ask you if you would bow your heads and I just want to be quiet and just give you a moment to talk to God about what you've heard this morning.
God, you know where each of our hearts are as it relates to this idea of resting. Some of us, Father, are just tortured mentally with the guilt of pausing and slowing down. And we just need you to free us from that. For others, Lord, this whole idea seems like a nice thought, but we're not sure how we could pull it off in our current schedule and demands. And I pray that you would you would give us just a little window, a little taste of what it would be like to stop and to rest. And God, I pray as we do, even as we close this morning and maybe it's a part of our day today, that we might just imagine and get a glimpse of life forever with you. Give us a glimpse of that, we pray in your name.